silence, Father. Our hearts are loud. They cry out many different things. Some of us rejoicing. Some of us solemn. Some of us heavy, heavy laden. But no matter the condition of our heart, you see it. And better yet, you understand it even better than we do. That is how loving of a father that you are. That you see us in our pain. You see us in our rejoicing. And you come to our side. And come to our aid. This house is gathered here tonight. To worship you. To seek you out where you may be found. But we know we need you. We need you to open the eyes of our hearts. To help us to see you. Help us to understand your will. As we come to you, we know as we just sang in worship, your will be done, not our own. It was not our own faith that brought us to you. It was yours. Great is your faithfulness, Father, not our own. We are weak, but you are strong. So we ask that you would strengthen us tonight. We ask that you would center us, calm our hearts, calm our minds, and still us in the thought of seeking you out, Father. So be with us tonight in spirit. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to glean from your word. Help us to find joy in reading your word and understanding it. And helping us even more to see that if we gain anything from, that, from tonight, if we learn anything, if we rejoice in anything found in your fellowship, in your church, it is a gift from you. Any understanding, any wisdom, any encouragement from tonight, all glory belongs to you. And you alone, Father, help us to see it and help us to live this out long after we leave here tonight. We pray this in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So we're reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. All right, let's pray. Father, we continue to pray. We continue to beg. We pray that we would learn to pray as we study, as we make observations, as we hear preaching and teaching in just the moments coming up. For we know that the Bible is a holy book, and apart from the Holy Spirit, none of us stand a chance to understand anything that we just read or heard right now. We thank you that the Bible is an inspired book by this Holy Spirit. And so, author of the Bible, you are present, you're, you're abiding, you're with us. It says that you walk among the lampstands, Lord Jesus, and so please show up, and as was prayed earlier, open the eyes of our hearts. It says in Psalm that you would... Open the eyes of our hearts to see wondrous things from the Bible. So do that now, we pray. Thank you so much for 
not merely attendance, but an attitude of worship, a heart that is here to worship you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and learn from your word. The company here is just so sweet and great and awesome. Would you now continue to cultivate more hunger and thirst for righteousness in this place? Make lovers of the word, lovers of the Bible, lovers of Jesus Christ in this place. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Wonderful. While your brains are ripping this text right now, um, I want to explain a little bit why I'm, I feel led to go really slow through this part. Um, and so I'm going to pray, I'm going to explain, and then we're just going to take three verses tonight, okay? And then next week, we're just going to take three words, okay? Um, and then after that, we're going to take a few more verses, and then a few more verses. We may be in this section on overseers and deacons for at least a month, at least, however long it takes, but I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to share, and I don't typically start like this, but I do want to share a little bit more of a personal testimony to explain why um, I think it not just wise, but very important in the life of our church right now. If you're, if you're a member of our church, we're, we're restructuring a lot of things right now with our bylaws and our, and our leadership structure and all that kind of stuff. And so I just think the timing of this is just too divine. And, um, and so let's, let, me, let me ask the Lord to bless us one more time and we'll work through this together. The Bible says the church is to be a family, and that is exactly what I feel right now. And I hope I'm not the only one. Hearing brothers and sisters interact with the text and talking about it amongst ourselves, not merely as individuals, but as an ohana, to see how this relates and connects and how it matters in the life of New Ohana Baptist Church right now, that is such a fun thing to be at. And so I'm just so blessed, Lord. I ask that you would awaken us, alert us, and I pray especially for the young ones in the house, the little ones, the children, the young men and women, those who perhaps this is the first church they've been a part of. And, and then I also, I, I pray for them, especially in that they would really grapple and wrestle with these things that can easily be assumed and not thought of until it's too late, until they're in a crisis in church. I also want to pray especially for the person in the house who maybe this is their second church, third church, fourth church, fifth, or even more, and they've experienced a variety of leadership and perhaps a variety of bad leadership, perhaps a number of wounds from abuse. And for that brother or sister or friend who in the house is having a really hard time with such a subject, I pray for them tonight, that they would find hope and restoration, redemption through a text like this. And so, Lord, however this lands on us tonight, all we have is right now. All we have is this moment. You could come to get us right now. We may not even make it through the service. You could call us home tonight. We may not even make it to our beds. So let us live in this moment together and listen to the Bible, believing it is the word of God, and that life itself depends on it. Thank you for calling us to this time and space together. And for the visitors and friends who are with us tonight, we, we welcome them and pray that they would continue to uh, seek you and that we might be an encouragement to them in their journey. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was asked many, uh, many times surfing. I remember thinking a while back, though, um, a surfer once asked me, you know, one of the things you ask each other when you're surfing is like, what do you do? You know, hey, what do you do? Oh, I work construction. I work for it. And then, you know, so in the circle, I was like, hey, so yeah, brother, what you do? And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. And I remember one of the, the surfers paddling up to me after I said that, and she sat closer. You're a what? Because <laughs> I guess brothers like me don't, aren't pastors. No, she's, she's like, you're a what? I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. And she was like, how do you become that? And then a set came, and she caught the wave, and, you know, and she left. And we continued the conversation, but as she left, I got to be honest, in that moment, this was years ago, um, I thought to myself, yeah, how did I become this? <laughs> you know, like, how, how does this work? Um, 
it is one of those things. I think the pastorate can be the, one of the most misunderstood vocations in all of life even. Um, I grew up in church. I grew up in this church. I, I love this church. Uh, and, you know, I can't really ever remember ever being opened up in the Bible and explained to what is a pastor, how does one become one, and what to look for and expect of a pastor. I mean, there was just always a guy up there. There's always a pastor. There are, and, and even in the seasons of our church when there wasn't one, just get a pastor, search community, go get one. But I never growing up, now maybe the church did teach it, I just wasn't listening. And that could be very possible as well. But here's the thing, whether I was listening or whether I was, I wish so badly, like that's why I prayed for you little ones, I wish so badly that when I was your age, I really actually dug in and wrestled and reflected on this question. Like what is the pastorate? What is an overseer? I hope that answers your question already, Solomon. Like, and how, do, how, does, how does that happen? How does one become that? And actually, what am I supposed to expect of that? And I say that because I wish I knew that and wrestled with that before I went off and tried church planting. You know, this, this is the second church that I've served in vocationally in. Um, I grew up in this church, never wrestled with those questions. Always assumed that, you know, the pastor is just the leader or the guy who talks or whatever. Um, and so when it came to church planting, I, I, I started actually doing Bible studies at this church when I was 16, 17 years old. By the time I was 19, I was doing youth ministry. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was full-time in pastoral vocational ministry, full-time. Um, so this year, I'm nearing my 15th year of pastoral ministry. Um, vocationally, but before that, I was even doing stuff like that. But you know what's crazy is in the earlier parts of my, the first half of that, if you were to ask me a question like, what is the pastor and what is a pastor, I'd be fuzzy probably on what to tell you. I might tell you things that are outside of this text. And you see, what happened was it led me to being a part of um, a church plant or an, or an experience where the, the leadership in the church was not biblically defined and understood from the top down. And what that led to, friends and family, was, and I'll be very honest with you, I have had to nurse some very deep, scarring wounds of unhealthy leadership. Being a part of it and participating, but being a recipient of it. And I want to let you know that it's so deadly and devastating that I have friends to this very day who will not dare to step in a church because of an experience like that. You see, this letter, it's often coined a pastoral epistle. But why I would tend to not first say it that is because it gives this idea that it's only for pastors to read. We know this, chapter 3, the letter is written so that if Paul can't get there, the church will know how to be the church and to do it God's way. This part of the letter is so much more, I would say, argue, I would argue is more important for the members to listen up, not just the pastors or the pastors to be. Because Paul wants the church to know, okay, you had a bunch of bad leadership. You're in it right now. You're experiencing these false teachers. This is a church that's spiritually abused. Let me put it in those words like that. And I say spiritually abused because in Acts chapter 20, Paul was saying that when I leave, men are going to come, leaders, overseers, they're going to be wolves. And they're not going to hold back. So there's people in this church that have been ripped off, taken advantage of, eaten, fed off of. Imagine having a leader that's a wolf, and you were taken advantage of. And then it says these leaders are not going to just be wolves. They're going to teach you twisted things. So now imagine having a leader who took advantage of you, who taught you wrongly. And then it says, not only that, they're going to try to draw um, disciples away after themselves. This is Acts chapter 20. So you got to really, let me put the context of the letter in a little bit more of a, an intense, deep down context and and vibe for us where this is a church that has been seriously spiritually abused. They have had leaders that have taken advantage of them, taught them twisted things, and perhaps their personalities were so compelling that it drew disciples away from Jesus and after them. So you now got to really sit and be a part, like feel this and where 
This now is a letter and a teaching that's coming to a church that if you've been spiritually abused, if you've been hurt in the church, or if you've gone through church experience and you've been scarred or wounded, maybe you are tonight still, by a lack of Christ-like, gospel-centered leadership, you know what the tendency may be for you? Is to want to have nothing to do with church, Jesus, especially church leadership. You would be scarred. So now you got to imagine this is the church that's hearing this. And, the, and one of the reasons why I feel like in just my own personal life testimony and with what's going on in the life of our church at Nu'uanu is because as was prayed earlier by um, Brother Trevor, like we are blessed to have three elders, three pastors in this church, but we all have history and baggage that we're working through and coming from. And we're now in a place in our church, we're in a transition where this very text is one of the reasons why we are trying to restructure our bylaws the way they are. I wish so bad that as a young believer, I wrestled with 1 Timothy 3. And I'm so thankful to God for 1 Timothy 3 because, like I told you, I have scars and wounds that I've having to nurse and still healing and recovering from. But 1 Timothy 3 was significant in restoring me and redeeming me and retraining and teaching me what good godly leadership is to look like. And so now... I have, if I were to sum up, if someone were to ask me, sum up your 15 years of pastoral ministry, I would say this. The first half was learning the hard way. The second half is still learning, but whoa, it's so much better than the first half. And I just wish that the second half started earlier, like in the first half. And so right now, wherever you are coming from, however this is landing on you tonight, whatever your experience is of church and its leadership, my prayer is this, that tonight could be redemptive. It could be the beginning of like a, this is what this makes this is what it looks like. And then that, as was Mary Ellen was saying, because the Holy Spirit abides in us, you and I with confidence can take 1 Timothy 3 and say, let's do this. We can do this. We've maybe we've done it wrong, just like with the men and women, right? Maybe we haven't learned how to dance in relationships before. You're a part of a broken marriage or relationship, or you've been there and done that, but it's not over. There's redemption in Christ. You can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Same thing with the church and the divine design of its leaders and its members. We can do this. So this is my hope. I want us to go slow because I want to give us the best shot, at least with the, starting here with this text, to begin to think and process and chew on and know how to, what is a pastor, how does he get there, and then how we as a church family can hold that man, those men accountable in our, in our bylaws Q&A, someone brought up a scenario. They said, okay, we got three pastors, but what if they all jump in a car ride and they, they carpool and then they all get hit by something and die? What do we do then? You know? Like what happens if all three, and God forbid, let's say Bob, Johnny, and I, we, we carpool to the 80th this Saturday because, you know, hey, we go just ride together. That'll be fun, which probably would, we would never say that, <laughs> but, 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 but I'll see you there. But let's say we just decide to and we take my truck you know, and we just go, and then we're on the way, and then boom, a bus just blasts us off on the freeway, and all three of us are gone. The church is still the church, but what are you going to do? You see, if we didn't teach you what the Bible says what to do, you're going to be lost. But see, Paul is writing this letter so that if that even does happen, you know what the church is going to do? First, you're going to pray, and then you're going to open up First Timothy chapter 3, because you know exactly what God says. These are the type of men that you got to be. So I want to go slow. And so I hope that doesn't bother anybody. But I wanted to give you kind of the ethos and the reason why behind I just feel so like I can't rush this. Like I just cannot. So we're going to work through this. Um, there, are like, there are four musts in this section on overseers. Verse 1, right? Um, Oh, verse 2, he must be above reproach. So that's his holiness. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And his handling of the word, that we'll look at that next week. Verse 4 is, you know, he must manage his household well. So that's his household. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, puffed up, etc., etc. That's his humility. And verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders, etc., etc. That's his honor. So there's 
five, there's four musts and five subjects I want to hit. So however long this takes, the first one is his holiness. The second is his handling of the word. The third is his household. And the fourth is his humility. And the fifth is his honor. And we're going to work through all those things so that by the end of this series, you know what to look for, what to expect in the pastorate. And for brothers who are aspiring for this, you know what God says he wants his men to be who are going to take that office. So tonight, we're just going to look at his holiness, his personal holiness. Help us, Lord, as we work. Work in us, we pray. Amen. Let's pick it up. Verse 1. So the saying is trustworthy. I don't want to belabor it, but we mentioned, we know, they've been hearing false stuff. Paul says, no, you could trust it. This is important. He says, if anyone aspires, tis anyone, a certain person in the, Hebrew, in the Greek, it's more literal, any certain man aspires. Now, this is a big word. Brother Mark brought that up. Rego. It's, an, it's a striving for. The picture, the word picture the Greek gives is you reach out for something that's far, but you're reaching because you really want to get it. That's the word aspiration. It's an actual outward practice. So aspiration is it's a guy who's doing something about it. He's not just thinking about it. He's reaching for this. What's he reaching for? The office of overseer. Now we need to understand this. Sovereign asks a great question. What is that? Is it a pastor? Is it an elder? What's the difference? There's two offices in the New Testament. The first one is overseer. The second one is anyone? Deacon. So there's overseers and deacons. These are the two biblical offices in the New Testament. Now, overseer, episcopate, it's the office of a bishop, church leader, one who does visitation or inspection or investigation. It's one who oversees, sees over. A watcher. What is he looking? What is he watching for? Well, Hebrews 13, 17 says he's watching over souls. That's Hebrews 13, 17. But let me do a little word study with you guys. So this word, overseer, it is interchangeable with elder and pastor. Let me show you. Acts 20, verse 17, it says this. Paul called the Ephesian elders, presbyteros, to the church to come in. Later down in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourself, the flock, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the word in the Timothy text. To care. Poimaino, or however it's said, the pastor to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained. So in that elder meeting, Paul uses the same, uh, uses three terms for the same group of men. Elder, overseer, and pastor. In 1 Peter 5, so just so you know that not Paul just thinks like that. The other apostle Peter says, I exhort the elders among you, fellow elders, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And then he says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. So I'm calling the elders, presbyteros, and I'm telling you to shepherd, pastor. You see, it's interchangeable. Titus chapter 1, same thing. He says, appoint elders. He's telling Titus in every town around you, verse 7, and an overseer. So I just want to make it very abundantly clear. Overseer, pastor, elder, local people would say, same, same. All right? So if you want, hey, um, Elder Johnny, what's up? You know, same, same. Bishop Bob, same, same. Now, am I telling you to call them those things? I'm not telling you, but if you were to, if you roll up on Sunday and say, hey, Bishop Bob, you know, he would know. <laughs> I know what you mean. You know, but pastor's fine. But I just want to make it very clear in the Bible, these are interchangeable titles and terms. So that, so that when you're reading through the New Testament, you're not kind of confused, but those are different angles and ways in which it's describing this office. Now notice here, though, he says, if anyone aspires, so you're reaching for that, to the pastorate. Now look at this. It says, he desires a noble task. Let's, let's pick this apart. I want to rip and shred this verse, right? So for the surfers in the house, we are going to just rip and shred. Backside, frontside, just shred it. Chew. Um. He aspires, he desires now, 
a noble task. Desire, it is a word of now crave. So aspire is the outward part, like I'm doing something about it. Desire is the inward burn, like I want it. So what we see in the man already is he has such an inward passion that it results in an outward practice. You see that? I mean, what we see here, it's, it's, it's a man who actually wants to do this. You got to have a heart for it. And a heart for what, though? Not for a platform. If I'm in the pastor because I want this, the Bible says get out of there. The pastorate is not your social media platform, brother. It's not for prestige. You know, if anyone aspires an office over here, he decides to be prestigious. If that's what's fueling our pastors in this church, to be become known as intellectually prestigious men, if any of that's lingering us, we're off. It's not for pay. Jesus talks about that in John 10. He says, hired shepherds, hired hands, these guys, they see wolves coming, and you know what they do? They scram. Once it gets hard, I'm out. And you know what Jesus says? He says, because the hired hand does not care about the sheep. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires, he cares, he has a heart for the sheep. This is not for pay. This is not for pay. It must not be for pay. It's not for platform. It's not for prestige. It's not to please and entertain people. I'm not doing this to make friends and get followers. And if, I, if my heart ever crosses over, you guys must call me to question. Help me. As we work through this text, I want you to think like this too. This is how you can pray for your pastors. You know, all three of your pastors are sinful men, and we are being sanctified, and we struggle. Don't think that we would not want to do this for prestige. Don't think that we would not want to do this for a platform or for pay or for popularity. Those are temptations that must be nipped. And this is why Paul says the whole church has got to know this stuff. The whole church. So this is not for... For pay, it's not for selfish gain. First Peter 5 talks about that. He says, overseers, you can't be exercising oversight under compulsion. I just, I'm just doing this for the paycheck, man. I'm just doing this because I got to do it. I put out X amount of hours this week because, you know, I just got to. No. And it's not to please and entertain people. Galatians 1.10 says this. Paul says, am I seeking the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please man? And then Paul says, you know, if I'm still trying to please man, I'm no longer his servant. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns Timothy of there's going to be a, um, a group of people that they want preachers and teachers who are just super funny and itch ears and they're entertaining. And we want those guys. And you know what? There's people who aspire for the pastorate to be those guys. They just want to be entertaining. So why? What, what's to aspire and desire about the pastorate? Well, look at what Paul says. He desires a noble, coloss, good, fine, advantageous, praiseworthy. The Greek even says beautiful. He desires a good, beautiful what? Task. Ergon. It's where we get our English word energy. It's where we define work. You know what? If you want to be a pastor, you know what you want? Good, hard work. That's what you want if you're aspiring for the pastorate. Now, then my question is, as a Bible student, I'm like, okay, well, what's the good, hard work? No better cross-reference to understanding what is a good, hard work of the shepherd than looking at the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. John 10, it says this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I want to define what is this good work. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see that? It's not for a platform. It's not for prestige and popularity. This vocation cannot be about the men in the pulpit. It's for the, the glory of God and the good of his people, the sheep. 
And then he goes on to talk about the hired hand who doesn't care for the sheep. And when the wolf comes, they leave. And then he says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. i got to bring them in. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You see, the type of pastors we want in our church, in all gospel churches, are pastors who are embodying the spirit of the good shepherd. They're men who are going to lay it down. They care for souls. You see, this good, hard work, it's a noble task. It's a good work because it has a good gospel that's got to get to people. And these are men who are going to expend their lives. And they're going to work, work. They're going to pray their knees off. They're going to sweat, bleed, sleepless nights. They're going to they're sacrifice luxury. To get this good news to people. And it's a good hard work that is not in vain. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 9, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but you know what's few? Workers. So what does Jesus say to do? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Beseech the Lord that he'll send more workers. Well, what work? What, what worker for what? What was Jesus doing? He was preaching the gospel, and you know what he was doing? On his hands and his knees, caring for the sick. He's getting in the trenches of people's lives. He actually cared about individuals and what you're going through. See, the pastor, the pastorette, is, is an office for men who, when you come to church, you, you better pray and hope that these will be men who actually care about your soul. And who actually want the voice of God to be heard by people. So we're going to get into the Bible and give you the voice of God. But you see the thing is, is anyone who aspires for this office church, it's got to be men who they see this, they see that as the pastorate. It's a good, hard, gritty gospel, trench type work. So the future pastors that we're going to raise up in this church, in members of Nuuanu, we're, we're going to participate in this and we're going to pray that God raises up men who are ready to go to work. You see, that's, and he's just beginning. The qualifi- he didn't even get into the qualifications yet. But from the outset, here's the point. The pastorate is a good hard work of keeping watch over souls. Let me read to you the Hebrew, um, the Hebrew the Hebrews 12. It's so good. You can write it down. Uh, where'd you go? Where'd you go? I can't find it. Let's turn there. Hebrews 13. Sorry, Hebrews 13. If I can't find it, I'm assuming God wants us to all read it with our eyeballs. So here we go. Hebrews 13. I'm going to give you two verses here. Look at verse 7 first. It says, remember your leaders, your pastors, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Now look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What are they doing? They are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. An account to who? The good shepherd. Now, I don't know about you, but I read something like that, and it makes me tremble at the office of overseer. That's why we can't have men who take this lightly. That's why we have to have men who aspire it, desire it. This can't be like, oh, you know, I really wanted to play professional sports, but, you know, I guess I'll settle for pastor. <laughs> Hey, how's it, everybody? Good morning. Open your Bibles. All right. You know, it cannot be that. And if you smell that in the pastors, if you smell that in our leadership in this church, the first thing to do is pray. The first thing to do is open up 1 Timothy 3 and pray for aspiration and desire. That's why it says in Hebrews, don't, um, uh, it says, As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We're in this together, guys. We're in this together. I need you. We need you. 
Pastor Bob and Johnny and all the future pastors in this church, we need each other. And the Bible's teaching us how to help. First thing, though, is this is a good, hard work. I had a moment in life when I transitioned from the last church to this church. Um, I had a moment where I was like, Sam, pray with me. Because if there's ever a time for an out, maybe this is my off-ramp in the pastoral ministry. Maybe this would be the time. You know, I mean, I, I don't know how many times someone transitions from one church to the other. But for me in my season of life, when I was praying, when they asked me to come and pastor here, I had a moment where I was like, well, let me pray about just the pastorate in general. And I remember for a week or so praying and actually going online and just, just walking around asking God, well, what else? Maybe I should, I'll go into coaching. Let me try to coach some sports or soccer or maybe I'll just do culinary again. I'll try to chef it up. You know, I enjoy cooking. I just tried to just try to put those things on the table for myself. And, and for about a week, I was just like, maybe this, maybe that, maybe, maybe. And, you know, my wife comes up to me at the end of the week and she goes, you know, babe, I just can't see you doing anything else. And as soon as she said that, I said, I don't want to do anything else. I, just, I feel weird. I just. Hi, I'm Chris. My name is Chris. I would like to take your order. Would you like to make that about? I don't know. I just, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. But is it, what, what, what ended up happening was God worked in me this aspiration and this desire. But it didn't start with just God and me. He used the church to cultivate that in my life. I wish so bad I could find every Sunday school teacher, every youth pastor, pastor, uncle, auntie, deacon that has spent time and poured into me and taught me the Bible and corrected me and just came alongside and encouraged me because what it ended up doing was cultivating in me an aspiration and desire where I was just like, I love this. It's so hard. But I'll give my life to this. You see, that is aspiration and desire for the office of overseer. And friends, church, family, if, you, if we start to pray like that and identify that in this place, what if God has more pastors in, the, in our church than we realize? But you see, if you never thought it through as to what a pastor is, you're not going to know how to identify. And if you can't identify it, then you cannot affirm it and you can't encourage it. So, Lord, will we finish three verses? Verse 2, <laughs> therefore, therefore, I'm out to crush any wrong preconceptions you might have of what a pastor is, all right? Not for popularity, not for pay, not for prestige, a good, hard gospel work. Verse 2, therefore, an overseer, is that a pastor? Yes. Is that an elder? Yes. An overseer or a pastor must be. That is there in the Greek. It is necessary. It behooves. It is right. It is proper. It is need. Gotta. Garens. Yeah? Local people. Guarantee. Gotta be. Above reproach. Now, this is a word that means not apprehended. So they cannot be arrested, apprehended as a criminal for something. They cannot be, they're, they're above criticism. They're blameless men. Now, again, we talked about this in observation. Not sinless. That would disqualify all pastors. We are made righteous by the blood of Christ. But these are men who've been broken down and built up, broken down and built up by the cross of Christ. So much so that these are men now that their normal behavior exemplifies a character of life that is above reproach. They're blameless men. And I just want to put this out there. That doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'm thankful the Lord. Part of my pastorate, if I were to describe it, is like learning how to swim, but I got thrown in the deep end. Just go swim. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. That's how you get your pastoral training. But that was just my life. At a very young age, I just got thrown in the deep end. Swim, boy. And I had to learn the hard way. And by the grace of God, I'm still swimming. <laughs> And I hope that by the grace of God, I'm swimming better than I've ever swam before. And I'm still wanting to learn how to do this swim. But one of the blessings that came out of being thrown in the deep end and starting a long time ago, 
if you think 15 years is a long time ago, is what God did was he shaped me and broke me and built me up and broke me and built me up and broke, and he still breaks me and builds me up to a place where by the grace of God, I hope that to you, to God, I would be a man who is above reproach. The pastors are to be exemplary in character. That's what Paul is getting at. Pastors are to be exemplary in character. It's an office that aims to pattern itself after Jesus. So like in 1 Corinthians 11 when Paul says, be imitators of me because as I am of Christ. That's why Hosea says, like people, like priest. So we want to have pastors who are above reproach, who have exemplary character. This is the general overarching command. And then Paul is going to go into specifics of what above reproach looks like. And I want to point this out, and we're going to rip some, rip some of these um, attributes and character traits, and then we're going to pause it for tonight. But I want you to see this. If you just broad screen and look down all these qualifications, how much of it has to do with the character of the man? If you were to put a percentage on it? A hundred. I like that. A hundred. There's probably one part in it, and that's why I'm going to save it for next week, apt to teach, able to teach. But even that in of itself has the assumption of a character where you're a learner. But that's the one part that's like it's, it's skill. You, you have to have this ability to teach. But the rest of the qualifications, it's all the character of the man. And why I want to go slow and why I want to bring this to light is because I do believe that so much when we think of trying to get a pastor, the first thing we only think of is how does he preach? How does he communicate? Is brought up funny? Is he good looking? What is his credentials? How many degrees does he have? You know what's crazy? is if you were to go to all the seminaries right now and try to find out how many classes in, in seminaries. Seminaries is a place where you train up pastors. Um, you give training for pastors. Um, you would find, find very little teaching for the pastorate on prayer, but a lot on preaching. Slim to none on prayer and a lot on teaching. Very few classes on the, the actual shaping character of the man but a, a lot I'm preaching. And I just think to myself, why is that? Because when you look at Paul's letter, it's so heavy-handed character. See, pastors are to be exemplary in character, guys, and that doesn't happen overnight. Now stay with me. Let's just try to work through some. And again, as we work, this is how you can pray for us. Pastors are to be husband of one wife, not two, not three, one. The Greek literally translates a one-woman man. What is Paul getting at? The character of faithfulness. They're a, per, they're a man who is faithful to one. Does that mean single men can't be pastors? When I first read this, I was like, oh, oh I better get married then when I was a young single guy. I was like, yeah, the Bible's telling me, hook up. For the glory of God, I will hook up to be a pastor. That's how I read it. I'm just being honest with you. And I had to learn at a young age, no, that's not what it's saying. Because that would disqualify Timothy. I don't know if Timothy's married right now. And then Jesus didn't get married, right? So we can take that interpretation and throw it out. Even Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, it's good to be single. So what is he getting at? One woman man must be a husband of one wife. He must be a man who is faithful He's a one-woman man. He's not a man who's loose with his eyes or impulsive and deviates and checks things out and gets loose with what he looks at online and things like that. He's a man who has the character to not break covenant. He's a man, these are men who they understand what marriage is. They're men who know that marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And so if they break faith in their marriage, they compromise the very message they preach with their life. This is why adultery in the pastorate is such a horrible thing. When you hear of, of, of headlines and things like that, please break your heart. That's sad. It's a, it's a horrible thing. And you know what, though? 
before we're so quick to just like, look at what he, you know, how did he even get there? It's the church's responsibility to put the men in leadership. You see how we're all in this together. Now, not to excuse the man who would, would be morally unfaithful, but you, I want us to see how holistically this, this has to do with everybody. Because had that man been assessed more properly, perhaps he wouldn't be in that office. But Paul is getting at he must be a husband of one wife. So even for the young men in this place, or even women, all of us who, you know, we want to aspire to have the, the attribute of faithfulness. Think of the covenants you've made thus far in your life. Members of this church, did you know you made a covenant? That we have to keep a covenant with one another. Are you, have you been faithful to that covenant? I say this often to men who um, in discipleship or tell me they, they're, they're looking into the ministry. I'll tell them your public ministry will be as powerful as your private worship. Your public ministry will be as powerful as your private worship. Who we are in secret is crucial, guys. And our wives will see and encounter first with that. You see, an elder knows the seriousness of his, of his covenant relationship with his wife. And he must not break it. Let's do a couple more. Pastors are to be sober-minded and self-controlled. Right? Sober-minded and self-controlled. The other point was pastors are to be one woman man. Sober-minded. This is unmixed with wine. They're not to be intoxicated. They got to have their senses. They got to have a sound mind. Right? Matthew says, love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the pastor who's to be an example, he's got to keep his brains. He's got to keep his wits. So men aspiring for that, you're not fooling around by getting hung over. And not just with wine, just, just intoxicated. Sober-minded. How are you going to love God and lead his people when your brain is all boxed? Okay. Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Self-controlled. Sensible. Temperate. So one is he has control of over what he puts in his body. And this one, self-control, he has control over his insides, his desires. So pastors are to be sober-minded and self-controlled. They're supposed to be of sound mind and emotionally stable. All right? They cannot be the kind brothers who every other week, they like it nuts. They're not the kind of brothers who, you know, if you're talking, if you have a debate or a disagreement, what, 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 cause what, so, you know, they cannot be punchy. That's, and if that's our behavior and character, call us to question. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. Pastors are to be, and then it says respectable. That's the same word for the women when they are to wear respectable apparel. That's modesty. Meaning they're well arranged, they're orderly, they have good behavior. And hospitable. Loving of strangers. I love this. Oh, I love this. Showing care for the outsider. They're the kind of men, they walk into a room, and you know who they notice first? The person who has their head down. They notice the person that nobody wants to talk to first. They're the kind of men who, if they're lingering around after service, they gravitate towards the people that are most avoided. That's a pastor. Now, church, understand this. Because if you see brothers in our midst doing that, pray. Because that might be a pastor right there. They're not, they're not the kind of men that just walk by people like they don't exist. Hospitality in its Greek term is to entertain strangers. And in ancient times, strangers are all the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, the sinners, the lowlifes, the kind of people that Jesus ate with. So what is this describing here? Hospitality. A Christ-like character. These are men that are like Jesus. I love this. Someone once asked me, were you always like Mr. Aloha? And I had to tell them, no. You know, in middle school, I used to eat in the teacher's lounge, and the teachers never eat in the teacher's lounge. And I was like, yes. I didn't mind being by myself. In high school, I didn't mind coming to school, doing my work, and just leaving. 
No problem. I didn't need to be in all the in crowds. I am not naturally in my own nature Mr. Aloha. You know what fuels my Mr. Aloha? Is that Christ first loved me. He saw me in my sinful state as a lost soul, troubled youth, and he came and he got me. He, he pursued me. He, he chased after me when, when nobody else would. That is the heartbeat in the pastor. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the type of men we want to lead us. And this is the type of men we want to follow and learn from and embody that. So that if a homeless person or someone of, you know, just in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the culture, they would be outcasted or, or overlooked, comes into our midst, we just all like, whoa. We just love on that person. Why? Why? Not because we want to be Mr. and Mrs. Aloha or cool people, but because this is what Christ has done for us. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same. You see, the pastor is a man who will leave the comfort of his familiar clique of friends and make house it to the person he's never met before. That's a pastor. Yeah, make house it. <laughs> and for real kind. People have asked me all the time, where did that come from? And I got to be honest, I got to give credit to the glory of God. Jesus taught me that. It'd be very easy for me to just walk by people and just walk and talk to the people that I want to walk and talk to. But church, that's not who we are anymore. You know, one of the marks of our church that I'm so proud of is that we are a hospitable church. People have always said this to us. You're so friendly. You're so welcoming. Well, I want to let them, I want to connect the dots for them. That's because of Jesus. It's not because we're just like that. None of us, none of us, none of us take credit for that. That is all the power of Jesus Christ. So pay attention, church. And men aspire for this. Let's welcome people and be hospitable because that's how Jesus has been to us. To close tonight, it says able to teach. We're going to pause there. We'll dive into that next week. But I want to show this, the negatives that was brought up in, in observation time. Pastors are to live lives not of this world. Now, he's going to go into, so he's just told us what a pastor is to be. Now he's going to tell us what a pastor is not to be. Not a drunkard. That's self-explanatory, right? He doesn't get boss. All right? He doesn't have that lifestyle. Because that's the opposite of sober-minded. You see that? He's not violent. Because that's the opposite of being self-controlled. You see that? He's gentle, not quarrelsome. You see how it's, a, it's positive, negative. That would be the opposite of, right? Not a lover of money. He's not all about materialism. Because that would be the opposite of hospitality. Hospitality is you're generous. All these qualities, guys. Drunkenness, violence, quarrels, and materialism. That's the spirit of the world, the spirit, the culture of this life. And pastors, here's the final point, are to live lives not of this world. Rather, they live lives for Christ. Now, again, in closing, all these qualifications, all these qualities of the pastorate, they're the same things that all of us here ought to be working at to gain. And you can. You are able, not in and of yourself, but Christ who lives in you. If you believe in Jesus Christ tonight, that he came, he lived, he died, he rose, and he's coming again, and that when he left, he said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be with you. Do you realize who you are, child of God? Do you realize what power you possess in Christ? We can live like this. And the pastors that God is going to gift our church are going to raise up in our midst, and they're there. I see a full table of elders at our church of men who may not be the coolest, we may not, may not be the hippest or the funniest or the best looking or whatever, or the most skilled or the most talented or whatever, but we want to be like Jesus. And we'll, we'll give our lives to doing everything we can to follow Christ in such a way that you would be proud to follow us. That's the beginning.
of the qualifications of the pastorate. Now, I want to reserve the able to teach next week, but just I want to say one thing really quick about it is I love that Paul took that and he wedged it right in the middle of all these character attributes. It's like you can't separate the two. And so we'll get more into the pastor is to be one who handles the word of God right. But all I, all I wanted to do tonight was open our eyes and, and let the Bible shine on. You know, when you think of the pastor now, I want, you, I want us to think, because the Bible tells us to think of this, think of Christ-like character. That's got to be number one. Number one. So if I don't make it home tonight. So if Pastor Bob doesn't make it to the whatever, or Pastor John, like if something does happen. And, and, you know, I want to tell you guys this. Something will happen. Because, children, your pastors you have now, we're not going to be your pastors forever. It's just a part of, just, just I want to put those thoughts in your brain. Because it's real. We're not going to be here forever. But God's word remains. And so, so parents think, what kind of men do we want pastoring our children when we're gone? Right? Grandparents think, what kind of men do you want shepherding your, talking to your children? What kind of men do we want teaching our spouses or our friends that we bring to church? We want men who have Christ-like character. And we as a church family, we're all going to chip in on that. We're going to work together to mold and shape and grow together in godliness. And by the grace of God, how crazy would it be to have a deep bench of solid godly leaders in our church? Well, we're not going to be that kind of church where it's just like we look at this one specific dude and everything hinges on him. Oh, we go to so-and-so's church. No, we go to Jesus' church. And these are our elders. And they're godly men. We love them. And they love us. Amen? Thanks for hanging in for three verses. We'll pick it up and get three words next week. And maybe some. Maybe, maybe more. Okay? Let me pray. And we'll sing. And I want to encourage us to just, when I'm praying, and when, when Brother Trevor gets out there to close us, I really want to ask specifically tonight, could you please in your heart, pray a prayer for your pastors tonight and pray a prayer for the future pastors that God would have at our church. Just go ahead and pray like that. Let's, let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters and their, jo- their, their desire for it. Um, they make pastoring so enjoyable because they're here to eat. They're here to get in and dig in and understand these things. So please, as we begun now studying, Um, the pastorate and what it is to be a pastor and what is all that about. I pray that any wrong preconceptions we may have had towards it, the Bible would be correcting us. So lead us, guide us. It is a privilege of me to be a part of this family. And I pray that by the grace of God, as long as they would have me, um, you would keep me and Pastor Bob and Pastor Johnny above reproach, men who have personal holiness at the top, who love you, who have our devotions and seek you and find you. Help us, Lord. Help us and help us to do this together. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of last domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords Church, let that be our prayer for us so that we may, we may show that 
we understand what we are called, all called to. But that, that's what we are also looking for in our leaders. Thank you, Lord, for our pastors here. They have been a tremendous blessing to us. Thank you for the word that was shared tonight that has richly blessed us as well. May it uh, penetrate our hearts, Lord, through, for the rest of this week. And uh, we look forward to our next opportunity to fellowship together. In your name, amen. Go in peace.